0: Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me for uh, this episode of Real Live Talk. I'm really pumped that you guys are here to check out this conversation. If you are uh, watching this live or listening to this on one of the podcast platforms later on or however you're catching this podcast, it really truly means the world to me that you're here. I pray that the content blesses you, challenges you, inspires you, or somehow adds some value to your day today. And if it does, if you'd consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, anything like that would be uh, just amazing. So thank you so much in advance. And hey, if you are uh, following this live broadcast or even catching it as a rebroadcast, but you're on the Facebook page, uh, we invite you to leave comments and ask questions and uh, otherwise engage in the comment section. And uh, we'd be really, really happy to engage with you there. So thanks again for being here. I'm really, really excited to welcome to the podcast for the first time Joshua Finley. Uh, Josh is a pastor, author, sought-after speaker, certified life coach, and leadership consultant. He's the author of Overcome and author of the Biblical Companion Guide to Think and Grow Rich, which is the uh, classic book written back in the 1930s by Napoleon Hill. And I'm just really, really excited to talk to uh, to Pastor Josh today. So I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, Josh up on the screen. Hopefully that works okay. Hopefully you can still hear Good, me. How are you doing? Good. Today, man? Good to see you. <laughs> Great to be on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's really, really cool to uh, to connect with you. Uh, we've kind of been on the on the outskirts of of uh, you know my my life, so to speak. Re- you know, relationships connected to a lot of the same people. I think I narrowly missed you at at Elam, right? I think I think you may have been there a year or two before I was, and then uh, I knew you as the the pastor at EGC. For a while but um it's just cool to uh kind of connect and reconnect with you after all these years so thanks love so much it for being yeah here. absolutely yeah man and 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 like what what i'd like to do i'm i'm so i'm i've just been really excited to talk to you uh in particular about um about some of your writing but uh if if you would just as we jump off here because i know that you're involved in a lot of different things different kinds of ministry and coaching and training and leadership and just different things. And so I'd love it if you could uh, just share a little bit uh, from your perspective about who you are and what you do.
1: Yeah. So, you know, as you know, our family was in upstate New York the Rochester area for quite some time with Elam Bible Institute and Elam Gospel Church. And uh, I still serve those ministries uh, on the board of the Bible College and one of the elders for Elam Fellowship and deeply grateful for just the investment they made into our lives as students and then as pastors. Uh, And then in 2017, we moved to Maryland and I took a position um, to help a rapidly growing church and just an amazing uh, leadership team uh, here at Freedom Church in Bel Air, Maryland. And I served the campus pastors, helped to develop a leadership pipeline and Started doing a lot of writing, um, traveling, consulting. Uh, we started a school of ministry uh, as soon as COVID. Actually, right in the middle of COVID, we we launched a school of ministry. And uh, last year, we just had our, our first seven graduates. And so we have a degree-granting program and some practical ministry training. I love being – I just love all the stuff that Elam uh, stuck in our backpack over the years, now being able mm. to travel to different nations and churches and organizations. Um, and then God began to open up some doors with the John Maxwell team and different business groups to teach, um, really transformational principles that are kingdom truths just in a business setting and to see that spread. And so, um, you know, if you told me that the world was going to shut down and in that window of time, I would be able to actually put together four different books and manuscripts that went into different capacities um you know that was in me for years it just had never had expression and so you know we have just i guess um catching up on the backlog of creative projects god you know put in us and they weren't dormant they were just sitting there for for a different season and so it's it's fun um ann and i were celebrating 22 years next month and so um i can't believe we've been married for almost 25 years and we've got two teenage boys. Uh, Jude is getting ready to graduate this year. And so just looking at all that, um, our youngest son, Jesse, plays baseball all over the place. So we're always following him. And, and um, you know, it's it's busy, but life is good. We really we really love what we get to do. We love who we get to do it with. And um, I hope that I get to do this for decades to come because building the yeah. church and building kingdom minded leaders, whether they're in education or government or business. Um, I just love developing people who want to develop people because that, at the end of the day, that's the only thing that lasts forever. So,
0: Wow. Amen. Well, so, and you've been in ministry for how many years now in terms of full-time ministry? So I began
1: full-time ministry, I guess I was 23 and oh. I'll be 42 uh, in a few months. So it's been okay. a little bit, nineteen years, I guess, full time. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm not good at math or whatever
0: the math is. <laughs> about <laughs> about like two
1: decades. Yeah, about two decades. <laughs> roughly,
0: roughly two decades. We can we can round up a little bit. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, it's I I know a a big part of of what you do and who you are um, is about you know leadership and building healthy leaders and wanting people to be able to build healthy teams and and all and all of that. And, you know, the fact that you started in ministry at such a young age and you've, you know, you've got this, you've got this family and, you know, young family and you're, you're growing together and in ministry together. Uh, What would you just say, uh, just as we kind of jump off here, is, you know, maybe one or two things that for you has just been really invaluable in terms of, you know, sustaining a healthy walk with the Lord, first of all, uh, healthy family and healthy relationships while serving in ministry, which so often can become, you know, it can become very taxing. It can be, you know, emotionally challenging at times. It can be more than a 40 hour work week. A lot of times, you know, like all this kind of stuff that's involved in ministry where, you know, a lot of young ministers, um, they get to a certain point where they experience burnout, they experience frustration and different things like that. What would you say is just something that for you has been just really, really important and and key in just kind of maintaining that sort of, I hate to just throw the word balance around because I think that word gets overused, sure. but, but yeah, that sort of, um, you know, equilibrium in your life and relationships.
1: You know, a couple of things come to mind. Um, I think it was, I think it was Tim Keller who said, you have to learn to disappoint the right people. So you're always going to be disappointing someone. Um, Either you're gonna, you know, please the the people that have ministry needs and disappoint your family, or you're going to disappoint people and you're going to, you know, please your family. You just have to find a way to disappoint the right people because, and and you have to be okay with that. Um, I think also I've always had mentors in my life. I've always had people who um, modeled what sustainability looked like uh, healthy marriages um joy in their later years of ministry i think of eric peoples yeah. i think of paul johansson i think of eric and cindy scott i just think of these different people that those are the kinds of people that i've always wanted to learn from and just emulate w- and, and and literally like interview them hey can we take you to dinner ask what you did well with your kids at this stage and yeah. so i think surrounding yourself with healthy people. Um, disappointing the right people which you can only do when you're secure in your identity and and really for me because i i love progress i love growth um i had to learn to like celebrate and embrace every season and i think gratitude Mm. practicing gratitude really grounds you because if you're a visionary person you can try to live in the future and be incredibly frustrated that you're not quote unquote there yet and At times, you know, Paul Johansson years ago said, even the vision that God gives you can choke the life out of you if you let it. Um, It's a godly vision. It's a godly blueprint. But you have to embrace the fact that there's always seasons and you can't change that. And so, um, you know, just knowing that I have certain limitations on this season that will change. But honestly, um, I miss even when our kids were a little bit younger, people always have these horror stories of different ages both of our boys are teenagers right now. And honestly, man, we are having the time of our lives because there's things we can do now together that we could never do when they were really little. I can travel with them. They've got stamina to like, you know, be on the road a little bit or even go to another country. We have deeper level conversations. Um, So I think celebrating every season, there's gold that you can mine out of every season. And um, another thing I would say, I think Stephen Furtick said this and it just hit me. It was so true. He said, I don't want to chase my dreams. I want, to, I want to pursue Jesus and then my dreams will chase me. And I think we have to be careful. I know I've had to be really careful to not make God-given dreams and goals uh, idols. Because once you reach them, it is great. I love reaching goals, but the truth is they're never really going to satisfy. And so rather than looking to... A position, an income, a location, a family setting—any external um, thing—they all can become idols. And I think if we don't find our satisfaction in in knowing God, we're never going to be satisfied. Add zeros to it, you know, whatever you have to do—it's just—it's not going to be enough. And so, um, I don't know. I just think when you spend time in God's presence, He'll deal with the idols in your heart, and you just—that's an ongoing process of just. Are you really enough? Am I just singing that song or do I really believe that? And, um, you know, I think being in ministry, you have the front row seat to both the highest moments and best moments of people's lives and the worst moments. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I have said to Anna over the years is when you're counseling people or you're at a funeral or you're at a child dedication or a hospital visit or a wedding, whatever it might be it kind of is a gift to me because it, it's very sobering. It reminds you how brief life is. It reminds you that sin is incredibly costly and it also reminds you that, um, we have a lot to be grateful for. And so, um, I, you know, I can't underestimate just practicing that gratitude because otherwise you'll be trying to live in a season that you're not and look back and, and really have a lot of regret for not being present. And so at times, if my feet were lifting off the ground and it would bring me back down and be like, you know, be here in this moment. Um, and she was a pastor's kid. I was not, I was a, um, wild elders kid. And so my dad was in ministry, but it was different because her parents were full-time ministry, pastoring counseling, planting churches. And, you know, she was, they were first generation Christians. And so everything really was about ministry So she came into into our family arrangement with some healthy boundaries that I didn't even know about. and So I think she's really helped um, balance things with our boys and with our family life. She's she's a guardian of that.
0: That's awesome. Uh, You know, I was just thinking about uh, just yesterday, I was thinking about um, in John chapter 13, when Jesus washes the disciples feet and he's gathered together with them and they're, they're celebrating the Passover together. It's the night of his betrayal. And all of that. And there's so much going on. And I think I I come back to this passage a lot. I think about it a lot. Uh, But I I thought about something new that I hadn't really, you know, just the perspective that I hadn't really had before. I just felt like the Lord was speaking to me about about, uh, something. It's really, you know, similar to what you were just talking there about being in the moment, being present and, you know, focusing on the right things and not getting so caught up in the assignments or the dreams or the goals that you lose focus on what really matters, which, of course, number one is our relationship with God and then also our relationship with people. And it's so it's so silly, the deception sometimes that I think we can live under that we have to work so hard to get something done that in the process of that, we can be sacrificing what's really important, which is the reason why we do this in the first place, which is the people that we're here to serve. You know, f- your family, your congregate, you know, I, I just, just all of it. And so I was just thinking about this, how, you know, Jesus, it says that um, the passage kind of starts off before he watches their feet. It starts off talking about how um, he was aware of what he had come to do and that the father had placed all things into his hands that he had come from God and was going to God. And so he's just so aware in this moment of this incredible assignment that's on his life. Like The reason why he came to earth in the first place 33 years ago And he'd been walking with his disciples, living a perfect life, demonstrating the kingdom, like all that he's been doing, it's about to come to this culmination point, right? Where he's about to be delivered up, betrayed, lay his life down. Like he's aware of what's going on. And what struck me so hard is that in the midst of all of that, he took a moment to kneel down and to wash the feet of his closest friends and to just serve them in like such a practical way when like, you know, if that were me realizing that everything was at this call like this is the most important moment of my life and like this is like the most important moment of humanity (laughs) really like let me make this about me real quick and let me like you know what i mean i'd be so in my head trying to figure out like what do i do next and just and just missing the moment and it's so it just blows me away how with all of that going on he was so focused on just still just being present, being in the moment where the father had him and serving his friends, serving his disciples and that he didn't like, you know, miss out on that moment, but he, he, he stuck there and he lived in that moment with everything that was about to transpire. And it's something that I, you know, I'll be honest, I think, I feel like I struggle with that and uh, like where it's, you know, being in the moment, you know what I mean? And it's something, it's an area of my life that I've, Sought the Lord in that I've, you know, hopefully I'm growing in that I'm, you know, I feel like it's, uh, it's kind of an ongoing thing of like, okay, this is what we're doing right now. This is what's important. These are the people that matter right now, and uh, just living in that moment. And I feel like that's, that's so huge.
1: I think, yeah, I think, I mean, that of course that passage is just huge in the idea that, um, you know, he knew where he had come from, he knew where he was going, and he knew how valuable he was to the Father. So his identity was not up for grabs. And, you know, I think you have to understand identity before you can really lean into destiny. Everybody wants to talk about destiny. Everyone wants to talk about purpose and rightfully so. But you mentioned that awareness. To me, without self-awareness, you can't really have self-leadership. And without self-leadership, you can't have servant leadership. So we can't even talk about servant leadership unless you back the train up a little bit. And you just described that process. Jesus had self-awareness. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. Can you imagine if Jesus burnt out and had like, you know, a heart attack before he made it to the cross, right? It's like if without that self-leadership, it would have all been wasted. And so he knew what was vitally important. And I remember there was a guy that um, his his name was Tyson, something Tyson. He was the chief operations officer for Coca-Cola, right? Coke at the time was serving like something like 2 billion beverages a day around the planet. Right. Yeah. So the chief operations officer for Coca-Cola, you know, one of the top three recognizable brands in the world, he gave a commencement speech. And what he said was, he said, imagine your life as, as five balls that you're juggling. And Mm -hmm. he said, you know, one of them is health and one of them is friends and one of them is family. And one of them is. Your, your career, your calling. And one of them is your spirit. And he said, basically, um, all of them are rubber balls that can bounce back, except for that, that spirit ball. Basically, that's glass. Like if you don't take care of yourself, and if you don't have priorities, you're not going to... He said, your career, it's not a glass ball. If you drop it, it's not going to be broken or irrevocably scuffed. It's it's going to bounce back, right? You have yeah. to have stewardship. You have to be diligent, but you got to put those priority. even the word priority, like it used to never be priorities until like, I think the 1800s, we changed it to priorities. It was always one. You could only have one priority. It literally meant one, yeah. what was supreme. Yeah. And now we've kind of adjusted it with our crazy uh, American dream and hustle. Like, Oh, I've got these priorities. Well, that's like an oxymoron. The na- the word doesn't even mean that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we're in con- and, wow. and Duke, you you know, as well as I do, you don't just make a decision once like, OK, I got my priorities in alignment. No, it's a it's a constant dynamic. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, it's so good. Um, yeah. The other thing that you were um, talking about there that really struck me was the, the thing about the um, mentorship and, you know, having people in your life that you can go back to back back to over and over again and particularly people that have been through it before you know that have pushed through some of those walls before and uh maybe maybe this will be a good segue into uh talking about the the book because um i, I remember there's there's something so um napoleon hill's book think and grow rich there's this there's this thing at the beginning of of the book I, th- I think it's it's i know it's very early on in the book where um he's talking about you know he goes through all these different you know interviews and Things that he had with with uh, with different you know people that that accomplished incredible things built wealth built businesses all this kind of stuff right and so but he's talking about this person this guy that um it, it says uh, that he stopped three feet short of gold so they were mining for gold and they got to this point where it just got too difficult to keep going any further i don't remember all the details but they're drilling they're mining and then they stop because it gets too hard but then one of the guys he uh, he goes and it says and he he goes and finds somebody that is more experienced in this area and asks some questions and they are able to kind of do this analysis and they find out how close they are. And so he keeps the process going and becomes a, a multimillionaire because they eventually find the gold. And it was, you know, is like his willingness to step back and to say, you know what, I'm in over my head here. And I could just quit or I could, you know, move on to something else or whatever. But let me take a moment and let me go and talk to somebody who's going to be able to You know, speak into the situation that knows more about this than I do, and it's that that willingness. I think to you know to do that over and over again to not allow that that pride and the ego of you know, oh, I I should know this by now, or I I do know, or I've got this figured out, or whatever. But I just think that you know what you said there is so huge about um, uh, you know, that willingness, and it's it's awesome that um, you are in a position in life where you have those leaders around you. Right, like where you have uh, those people around you that you can go back to. Uh, just before we move, we we move forward, and I want to get into the the book and 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 all that. Um, so I was trying to do a segue, but then I thought of another question. So yeah, um, what, what bro, would you just away. say? What, what would you say to a leader, to uh, you know somebody in leadership that uh, maybe doesn't have that established in their life, uh, but that you know maybe would be listening to this and say, you know what, I realize that I I need that or I want that. Um, to, you know, how can they kind of pursue um, having that that leadership or a mentor or somebody like that in their life that they could draw from?
1: Yeah, I think, so the beautiful thing is God knows that we can't do this alone. And uh, I think with your assignment comes people who are literally assigned to help you, to impart to you, to open doors for you. Um, to challenge you, I think our job is to get healthy enough to where we a we recognize when that's happening, and when we don't see that immediately, we we become the kind of person that is hungry and and starts pursuing it. And I've never seen someone who is growing and hungry and doing the work of becoming more self aware and and putting other people's first, putting their ego in the back seat. Yeah. Um, you know, I heard Rick Warren recently say. Um, he was talking about the word humor and he said, not only is humor great for a a leader and a person and when you can laugh at yourself, but he said, humor comes from the Latin, uh, humus, which is not the Greek, you know, hummus. I love hummus, but it's, it's, it means of the dirt. It literally means of the dirt. It means you're a grounded person. So when you have humility, it just means you have, you're grounded. You're, you, you know, you have an accurate view of, of your worth and your need. And so I think, um, just, just having some hunger and having some humility and asking questions, um, you know, John Maxwell would teach people all the time to ask the question, who do you know that you think I should know? Um, a lot of times, most of the people that I have met in my life didn't just parachute in, they were a relationship connected to another person connected to me. And they would say, Hey, you got to meet this person. Hey, you got to meet this person. And so, um, if God has pre-planned good works for all of us, Ephesians 2, then that means he has pre-planned these different relationships for us as well. And I just have to make sure that I move in discernment and awareness. Um, and, and you know, some men, they, they would call it the law of recognition. Like, who has God placed in your life right now? We always think far away, another zip code, another, you know what I mean? Like, but have you yes. actually maximized yeah. what's right in front of you? because usually you're overlooking you know proximity really really matters out of all the studies that have been done on leadership one of the greatest principles of leadership is that it's local like i thank god for the colin powells of the world i thank god for the john maxwells sure. i thank god for these people but the people that have the greatest influence on someone is the soccer coach it's the teacher it's the bible study disciple or it you know it's the people you actually have proximity with so um you know, I just think they're already there most times, yeah. and if they're not there, someone who is there will probably open a door relationally and an invitation, and that's how I got connected to. I would have never wrote the book Think and Grow Rich, the Biblical Companion Guide, unless, honestly, I was asked to do it, um, and unless I was an invite, I was introduced to uh, some people that I didn't know, but some good friends knew and said, Hey, you got to meet this person. Hey, you got to meet this person. And it was just, you know, a God connection.
0: That's, I was actually curious about that. I I was going to ask you if it was something that you decided to do on your own (laughs) because I had a feeling that, that it was probably something that was, you know, put on you from, from an outside source. Cause I, I was just curious about how you got, cause think and grow rich is such an iconic book. Um, I mean, one of the most iconic books, I think, that we've had in our in I our think it's,
1: it's sold like over 100 million copies. Like not a lot of books have ever done that. Yeah. Um, like you said, I it, came, sold, you know? it came out, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if the original publishing was 1937, but not long after the Great Depression and the stock market mm-hmm. crash of 29. Uh, in an era where honestly there was great economic depression, but also more millionaires birthed in America than ever. And some friends had some friends had recommended the book to me. I bought a copy of the book and just added it to my stack of books that I was working through, but never really got to it. And then, um, the John Maxwell team reached out because of another friend's recommendation and said, "Hey, you know this guy knows the Bible. This guy cares about helping business leaders. Maybe he could help us um, translate thinking Girl Rich for a Christian population." because we're trying to train Christians in wealth and they're like spitting out the the message because of some of the terminology in his book and all that. And and so they said, would you write a biblical companion? I said, well, I probably should dig through his book piece by piece before I write it, you know, come to So, um, you know, I I just started to tear apart thinking Grow Rich and I realized why a lot of people would step away from it and be like, ah, it sounds new age and and, and I felt like for me, the Holy spirit said, don't let the terminology trip you up that you get robbed of some of the truth in this book, because there are some gems and there are some truths that honestly, he didn't, he didn't make them. They're just kingdom principles that he packaged up in a, in a, right. you know, customizable way. Anything that works is going to be connected to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Um, and so Yeah, I just started digging through it and then I asked them, I said, Hey, when do you need a manuscript for this? And they said we need it in three weeks. And so I, you know, did a deep dive and sometimes you don't even realize what's in there until it's 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 like it's like a tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, what's on the inside comes out. When you are under a deadline and pressure, things just come out. I had never even written Mm -hmm. a book before and then in three weeks we had the manuscript.
0: That's incredible. Yeah yeah that i've i've been through that before like like uh i've I've got some books that i've been working on for years um but at one one time i wrote a book in a week because i had a i well it was a self-prescribed deadline but it was you know i was trying to get a book out before this uh conference that was coming up and so i wrote i uh yeah like it's it's amazing like as you said it's amazing what can come out when you when you when it has to Uh, It's amazing. You know, we saw that we saw that all through COVID, right? Like, it's amazing what can come out of a ministry or what can come out of a business or what can come out of somebody's mind or heart when they're up against the wall. And it's like, okay, well, there's no choice now. So I've got to do something. And it's pretty amazing the creativity that can begin to flow when you are, you know, put into those kinds of situations. It's not that that creativity wasn't there, but it's like, I think there's a comfort level that we get into when we don't need to tap into it.
1: Yeah. And here we talked a little bit, you know, gratitude at the beginning. Neuroscience is now saying that gratitude is actually a lubricant for the brain that fosters greater creativity. So (laughs) they can tell that when a person is thinking thoughts of gratitude, it releases an oil and a lubricant in the brain that touches your neuroplasticity, which fosters greater creativity. And so mm. again, there's a power there to to release it. So if everything comes from him, flows through him and back to him, somehow this is all connected to to the Lord anyways. And so thinking grew Rich was no different. I definitely didn't agree with everything Napoleon said. And I said, oh, the Bible says this better. Let's pivot over to a scripture or let's build a bridge, you know, and what blew me away because the Maxwell group has such a vast reach. um, In nine years, they grew to like 30,000 business coaches in, I don't even know, maybe 160 nations, something crazy. So they translated the e-course that we did to go with the book, like a video library for each chapter into romanian and into german and into italian and into different languages and so i just started getting emails from people all over the world saying i never really considered god in this way a god of abundance you know what i mean i was so scared of the prosperity gospel and the excesses of that that i never or man I, i was turned off napoleon hill or i idolized napoleon hill and i didn't realize that anything good he said he took from the bible you know so what a cool, what a cool um, project to work
0: on. That's awesome. So who is, who is the book for? Who is it written for? Uh, Who do you think should read the book?
1: I wrote with believers in mind that struggle. A, if you grew up with a poverty mentality of any kind, Mm. And poverty deals with a lot more than just finances. Poverty is a conviction that you live with meager options. And God's children should never think that they don't have options. You're never a victim with your back against the wall. You always have options because we serve a supernatural God. And um, so I I wrote for sure from my perspective of just, wow, I know what it's like to be stifled by a poverty spirit. I know what it's like to honestly... um, Make things that are harder more holy. Like, mm, I know what it's like wow. to almost spiritualize poverty now, simplicity all day, I think that's great, but poverty, I just don't want to anywhere near my thinking. Um, and and I did write for the person who doesn't know God that might start turning the pages of scripture, might start looking to, hey, there is an intelligent designer, there is a a being that created us, that loves us, that I can know, and anything brilliant that these guys did, they were just tapping into a wavelength that was not even created by a person. It was, it was God's truth from the very beginning. And um, uh, again, a mentor in my life said to me, "He said, Josh, let let the tension lead to intention. Like whenever you find tension moments where you're like, I don't agree with that, or let it lead to intention rather than backing away. Lean in even more." And so I realized like, Hey, I want to get rid of my own poverty thinking and I don't want to somehow spiritualize lack. Um, And, you know, it just, it was, it was probably a project just to help me, but I knew it would help other believers. And, and honestly, a a lot of non-believers as well.
0: That's so good. Can you give me that definition that you gave for poverty one more time?
1: Oh, I think we could probably do a ton, but the one I, I, That comes to my mind often is that poverty is living with meager options.
0: Mm, I love that, man. It's so huge. It can relate to healing. It it can relate to creativity. It can relate to entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like when we start a a thought process in our mind that is, you know, coming from a place of lack. Right. It's coming from a place of even. Like I don't, I don't know if I can trust God with this, you know, because at the root of that, there's, there's probably something that says that, you know, like what God has for me is not enough, or I'm not enough, I'm not good enough to receive it. I'm not. I, I think that, I don't know if the, I don't, I'm not trying to get like weird or, or like deep about stuff, but like you know, you go back to the garden with Eve, and the the enemy's attack was like. Um, you know he he starts off and she's like well um you know god said we're not supposed to you know eat or touch that tree right she's like well um has god really said this and then god's and then she says yeah god said that we're going to die if we eat and he's like you you won't die he's like cuz the reason god said that is because he knows that in the day you eat from that fruit your eyes are going to be open you're going to know good and evil and all this kind of stuff and so now eve's got this thought in her head that's like oh, is God hiding something from me? Is God holding something back from me? And I, and I feel like all of the bad decisions that we make in life, they come from the, or I don't know if I can say all, I'd say most of the bad decisions we make in life, they they stem from like this area of our thinking that that feels like it's lacking something or feels like it's missing out on something. So, oh, there's there's a hole here. There's something lacking here. So I need to fill it with something. And when Mm -hmm. we're not allowing God and our, you know, our trust in the Lord and and all of that, when we're not allowing um, those areas of our heart to be filled with more knowledge of who God is, then we're inevitably going to be trying to pursue other things to kind of fill those gaps. And so we're going to be making bad decisions and we're going to be pursuing life from a mentality of lack. And as sons and daughters of a most high God, we don't, we don't need to come from that perspective. You know, We don't need to come from that perspective because we belong to him. And so when our trust is in him, then we know, like, hold on, like, I'm not dependent on the resources of the, you know, like, whatever. Like, I'm not dependent just on the economy that I'm in right now. Like, I'm dependent on the economy of God. And not, as you said, like not just in finances, but in terms of every area of life. So I think that that is so huge, breaking that, that cycle or that mindset of, of lack and poverty and being able to think from a godly perspective, to be able to see things, to see life. You know, we're going after a dream. We're pursuing something to be able to see it from a godly perspective um, and not from a mindset of lack or this isn't going to be enough or I don't have enough to get there or whatever. That's so huge, yeah.
1: Because the poverty mindset is linked to the orphan spirit. They're they're absolutely they're together. They're together. Absolutely. So I've met people with incredible skill set, but their mindset will sabotage their skill set. So I I believe your mindset is more important than your skill set. Of course, skill set will come along the way, but your mindset is is really the priority and you know, you t- this matters so much right now. We're talking about global recession. We're talking about possible famines in different parts of the world, um, economic reset going around the globe, like all this stuff happening. It says in Genesis 26 that Isaac was going to leave town and move because, you know, the famine was so bad. And God said, no, stay put, stay right where you are in a famine. And it says, Isaac obeyed God. And it says in that same year, while there was a famine going on around him, he his crops reaped a hundredfold harvest in a yeah. famine because he built according to the word of God. He didn't live with that poverty mindset. And so I just think it's, um, you know, we have to, whose voice are we building from? You mentioned the lie in the garden, you know, in the, that's the beginning of the Old Testament, the beginning of the New Testament. You could look at Matthew 4. You look look at Jesus' temptation, where the enemy's trying to lie to him, and look at the three areas, right? Mm -hmm. Turn the turn these stones into bread. Jesus, get your security from this thing. Uh, Toss yourself off of the precipice of the cliff. Now he's trying to tempt him in the area of his safety, and then he's saying, "Hey, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world." And that's that's significance. Like, hey, what lie and what idol is not tied to your safety, your security, or your significance? In some way, it's, you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. It all comes back to those same things. And and ultimately, we know that those treasures are found in Jesus. Um, but I think Christians have stayed away from this. Uh, most people, I'll say this, Duke, most people believe that God is a God of abundance. How could you look at creation and not see a God of right. abundance? Right. Do we really need a million different kinds of beetles, but we, we have them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just everything he did was so abundant, but prosperity is a different thing. Prosperity shifts a gear and builds upon abundance. Abundance mm-hmm. just says God created abundance, but prosperity believes God created abundance for me and not so that I can have a yacht and a, and a jet and a, maybe you will, maybe you won't, but. This is what I have found. This is where it breaks down really practical. When I come up against a limitation of some kind, I have to say to myself, and every person, it's different. You've got to develop your own phrases to like reset your thinking. But I say to myself, hey, there's more where that came from. There's more where that came yeah. from. Yeah. To combat the poverty mind, hey, there's more where that came from. Yeah. Because otherwise, you will clutch and you will hoard and you will keep for yourself and you will not be. At the end of the day, you can't be generous unless you're living in an overflow. And I love words. You know, generous comes from the Latin generis, which means of nobility or of noble birth. So again, even being a generous person is tied to my identity. Identity. I am of noble birth. I'm a child of God. So I should be generous, which means I have to see God meet my needs and then some. um, and And a definition I'd give for true prosperity is I have more than enough to meet the needs of my assignment so that I can help others with theirs. Like that's real prosperity. I've got more, than not just enough, the God I serve is more than enough. And mixed in with more than enough, I still have a theology of suffering. I still have a theology of generosity. I still have a heart for the nations, all of those other things. At the end of the day, I just wanna pour it out you know, all the crowns were going to lay at his feet anyways. Mm. Um, But if, you know, if he can keep getting it through me, then I believe he can get it to me. And I, and, and I will say this, Duke, most people think of gold bars, businesses, dollars, cryptocurrency, whatever. And I think all of that's amazing. And obviously that's how we do business, but the economy of heaven, when God blesses someone, he blesses them with an idea, with a thought, with a word. To me, the currency of heaven is words. It's ideas. He doesn't just drop a business. He doesn't just drop um, an open door. you know, When he opens the windows of heaven in Malachi to pour out blessing, a lot of times he's pouring out ideas. And people squander it and say, well… I, they just don't. We don't do anything with it, and it's like, well, that idea could have been a multi-million dollar idea, or that idea could have been an idea that served a whole nation, or yes. revitalized a whole company. And you were waiting for the big check, you were waiting for the investor, you were waiting for the benefactor. But God actually blessed you with the currency of heaven, which was an idea dropped in your spirit.
0: Mm. It's so good. Yeah, it's like Deuteronomy eight eighteen that God gives us the cool. God gives His people the power to get wealth. And the wrong assumption so often is, you know, like, oh, well, God would give it to me if he wanted me to have it. And so even that is, I think it's a poverty mentality. It's like, well, if God really wanted me to have that, he would give it to me. It's like, 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 no, God, you know, we, we all have a different, we're all here for a, with a, with a purpose. And we all have an assignment and it's different. And for some people, that assignment you know you you talked about wealth or you well i think you used the word prosperity you know prosperity being that you have more than enough to uh, fulfill your assignment and then also enough to be able to be a blessing to others i butchered that you said it better than i did but the but oh, the point you is you know it. we've 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 all got a different we've all got a different assignment and so for for one that might be millions of dollars for another it might not necessarily require that but you know i love what i love what uh, bill johnson says you know how much how much wealth is too much it's like well however much replaces trust in God. And so, if for you, that's like, you know what I mean, it might be a hundred dollars for one person, it might be a hundred million for another person that's not the 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 point. The point is that you are pursuing God, you're fu- you're fu- you're fulfilling the assignment that he's placed on your life. and as a result of that, that there's going to be abundance and there's going to be blessing, there's going to be increase. There's going to be more than enough. But if we have this mindset, That says, well, if God wanted me to have that money, if God wanted me to have that car, if God wanted me to have that big ministry, he would just give it to me. Well, no, because the Bible doesn't say that. What it says is he gives you the the power or the ability to to get wealth or to create wealth. And so, as you said, he gives you ideas. He gives you insight. He gives you wisdom. And if you trust him with it to, to see that thing, you know, come to its fullness... Then yeah, it, it's going to be abundant and it's going to be more than enough because our God is a God of He's He's extravagant, and He is uh, abundant in everything that He does. And so again, He's just not wasteful on it. Yeah, right. He's, not he's just wasteful. not wasteful. Yeah.
1: He's He's the mm-hmm. wisest investor there's ever been in the universe. And so Come if on. you don't do something with what you're given, He's not going to give you more. Um, that's the beauty of stewardship. What you start with is not what you're stuck with. You're not stuck with what you start with, but if you don't plant that seed, if you don't do something with it, honestly, my favorite chapter of the whole book even doesn't have anything to do with Napoleon Hill. I just wrote a chapter on uh, the stages of a seed, the five stages of a seed, because it applies to any area of life of sowing and reaping. And if you don't understand that, um, you know, again, Genesis 8, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed, time and harvest. And so God is not going to change his mind. We will always be able to lean into that but let me give you a practical thing on how it's shown up in my life because if the if this if the poverty spirit is connected to the orphan spirit which i believe it totally is um there's this scarcity mindset so it can show up in different ways it can show up in being ultra critical of comparing yourself to other people especially rich people so if you have a poverty mindset you're going to be pretty judgmental usually of people that have more than you and you'll say oh they're probably charlatans or they're probably Cutting corners, or probably cheating on their taxes, or not tithers, or whatever—like all stingy. that stuff. yeah, right. Which is usually not the case in ninety-eight Absolutely. percent of the time. Um, or sayings like this, and I understand the early bird gets the worm, which is true. You got to be disciplined. You got to be intentional. The problem with that is it assumes there's only one worm. Who said there's only one worm? the early bird gets the worm. The scarcity or the poverty mindset has a hard time with someone else's blessing because it believes that your piece of the pie got cut into by giving them their bigger piece of the pie. When the truth is no one can touch your pie. It's what God has given you. David said, my boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance at God's right hand. And so again, that that scarcity leads to competition. It leads to jealousy. It leads to envy. Um, it leads to a weird false humility where like, if you're blessed mm-hmm. with a, a new car, a new pair of shoes, a new phone, a great vacation, uh, a, a vacation home, whatever it might be. you I've, I've met people who are incredibly wealthy, who still have to explain why they're wealthy. Like, They'll get a yeah. new car. They'll be like, oh, I got such a great deal on it. And you're like, I don't need to know that you got a great deal. You could have paid yeah. sticker price or over sticker price. doesn't matter to me. But when I've coughed up those explanations as almost like a, a validation for people, like, oh, yeah, but I wasn't wasteful. Like, I got a great deal. I'm like, dang it, that stupid poverty mentality because mm-hmm. I'm trying to convince myself that I'm not worth it and that God doesn't see me as valuable enough to give me some – like. Who's to say that I'm not a good steward just because I went out and got yeah. a new car or an investment property or whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, and I will say even a lot of people who are not yet Christ followers have had to work through some of the um, self-awareness pieces where they can pick up on that stuff so fast that like they've they have they haven't yet surrendered their life to Jesus and they still need to but they've worked through some of the awkwardness of their blessing. And so they're not trying to rationalize and be like, well, I'm, I'm unworthy. I should have bought that on sale. And I think as you start working through this internally, God will place you in environments that will stretch you. Um, I, was in a, I was in a room, it was a fundraising event, and there was probably uh, there was under a dozen people in the room. And most of them were hedge fund managers from Manhattan. And the person hosting the dinner was, a, you know, a billionaire, and I'm sitting in this room thinking, what in the world am I doing here? A friend invited me here to like speak and to share a little bit of the vision of of an organization that they were raising funds for, a cause I deeply believe in, and um, it was just a very cool environment. But the truth was, I sat there with my black tie. I don't go to a lot of black tie events, you know, and I was like, you know what? I, my net worth is not, my net worth is probably what these guys make in half a day, but it doesn't even matter. Actually, there was a guy sitting. There was a guy sitting next to me the day before the meeting. He bought the New York Mets. He he out <laughs> he he outbid this at the time. It was when J Lo and A Rod were still together. He outbid J Lo and A Rod together, and 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 bought the Mets. I said, okay, this guy's got deep <laughs> pockets. But you know what, God had so worked in front of, I, I was able to enjoy myself, joke with these guys, share the vision, celebrate my friend being able to raise a ton of money in and, and a cause that is so worthy. And I just think you won't find yourself in those situations. Or if you do, if you haven't done the work of just letting the love of God radically alter your view of yourself and your identity and your worth, you'll you'll distract yourself asking the question, how did I get here? Why am I here? I don't belong Rather than being present and just saying, "Okay, God, what do you have planned for this for this moment?" You know, you got to work through those things because um, I, I will give a shout out to to Chris Valentin. His book, Pro- "Poverty, Riches, and Wealth," is one of the very best books I have ever read on the subject. And he made the comment: he said, "Listen, you want to talk about opulence? Heaven is the way that it is because God wanted it that way. It's not like." some interior decorator got up in heaven and started putting gold everywhere. And God was like, I can't believe this place is so gaudy. Like, no, he likes opulence. And he said this, he said, you could put Jesus in a manger, but you can't put the manger in Jesus. Jesus was who he was, you know, and I just think we, we have got to be comfortable with that. Otherwise, how are we going to disciple nations? That, that requires massive resources. So we've yeah. got to upgrade our thinking.
0: Man, I love that story that you told about being in that room and not being able to compete in terms of net worth and all that kind of stuff. But, but being able to be comfortable and to be yourself, and it, to to me that it kind of comes back to this this thing about you know your internal world, um, becoming. Eventually, your internal world is going to be reflected in your external world, and so in other words, like the way that I the way that I talk to myself and the way that I the way that I again, it comes back to identity, right? It's that that place of that position of knowing how secure I am in the heart of God, of knowing who my God is and who he created me to be, that if I end up in a place where I'm you know, outside of my my elements and it may be uncomfortable for whatever reason. But, you know, not to attack that situation from a mindset of lack, like, oh, I'm not good enough to be in this place. But when you're big in here, you know, when you've been changed and transformed by the love of God on an internal level, then you can live from that place, you know. And so your internal world, the internal dialogue that you have, the way that you talk to yourself, really, it's just knowing who you are and who God is that allows you to, you know, stand up to, you know, those those big situations like that, where you could be intimidated in the natural, but because you know who you are, you know what God has placed inside of you. And because ultimately you're not dependent on, you know, what's in your hands, but you're dependent on the resources of heaven and who God is and how, you know, he He knows no boundaries. And it's, there's always more than enough. And it's, he's a God of abundance. And so when you live from that mentality, you don't have to, you know, be afraid To go into those you know kinds of situations and to just be yourself and to let the goodness of god you know come out of you in that situation um Mm -hmm. what, what would you just say and and we'll we'll start to wrap up here but what would you say is kind of um something that maybe has helped you to develop that mindset you know to kind of go to make a shift from a mindset of poverty from an orphan mentality from a mindset of fear that would hold back draw into itself you know, maybe like I've only got a, I feel like I've only got a little bit to give. So I want to hold on to it and make sure that I'm not letting go of it because, you know, I maybe I don't know if it's going to come back to me or not. But what's like something that has just kind of helped you to make that shifting in your mind to be able to live more from a an abundance mindset rather than a, a poverty mm-hmm. mindset?
1: I would say so. Reading books like Thinking, Grow Rich that I want to throw across the room and not necessarily <laughs> like, but let them challenge me, right? Let them stretch mm-hmm. me. Listen to. So if there's there there's a fine line, and I can see why why Christians a lot of times get upset with this, and I and I and I understand because I'm not big into like the self-help, the project self movement because anything apart from Christ is hollow, and if it's just me and and improving my self talk it may help me get by and i think that's that's great but it's it, at the end of the day it's hollow like i believe in confession and confession just means saying what god says right saying what god says so what he says is true about me i want to i want to edit my inner narrative i want to shut down the internal heckler that is trying to diminish who i am and but at the end of the day if you start to believe that you are what god says you are you have to begin to give away to others you can't again it's that gratitude like it's not where you start it's whether you start most people are sitting on gifts ideas resources that they have devalued and they're they're staring what's in, in somebody else's hand yard bank account whatever ministry and not cultivating what they have. I've got a bag of seeds right here. I need to, I need to start working on it. And so again, I think gratitude is such a game changer. Begin to thank God for what he's already given you and use it. Outgrow wherever he's planted you, outgrow it. And you don't have to try to figure out, well, how am I going to get another pot? God will repot you. God will you know help your capacity keep growing as you just keep um, investing in your growth and having gratitude. So Gratitude for me is, is is like a superpower. It's and it's honestly one of God's favorite things, right? He listed some of the greatest sins of Israel and and he listed ungratefulness. Mm. They were an unthankful people. And it says in perilous times and in the end times, Paul was talking to Timothy, and he lists all these things and it says and they were ungrateful. Well, mm. there's a you know, there is so much connected to that orphan spirit to that original sin that Lucifer had that that, you know, all of that, that we want to stay away from. So I think practicing gratitude, learning from people who you may disagree with logically, but they stretch and they challenge you. um yeah. That has helped me massively. And, um and again, getting to know people, asking them questions, humble yourself, man, how did you, how did you overcome that hurdle and just using up the resources that God has placed around you? And then, and then lastly, Duke, I would say, you can't, You can't grow exponentially. You can't grow wealth. You can't grow in your fitness. You can't grow in ministry until you really begin to help serve other people. Um, And most people are still so focused on what they don't have that they're not generous with what they do have. And um, I think – and it's real quick, and I'll close with this story because I think it will help our listeners just kind of crystallize what we talked about. David Livingston, right? We're from Elam, missions background. Everybody loves going to the nations. David Livingston in the 1800s was like the Indiana Jones of the mission field. He's in Central Africa. He's going places nobody else would go. And he gets to the edge of this property, this territory, and all he wants to do is preach the gospel all across Africa. He wants to bring light to the darkness. And as was the custom, when you were going to get to the edge of a territory before you had permission to go into another territory, you would have to meet the tribal chief and there would be like a customs exchange basically. And you would lay all of your belongings on the ground and he would be able to choose one thing that you had that he wanted in exchange for access to his territory. So at the time, David Livingston, this is all he had. He had a watch, he had a couple pairs of clothes, a few books, and he had a goat. But the goat was his prized possession because he wow. he could only live on the goat's milk. He um, didn't have anything else. He couldn't eat the local food because his stomach. And so it wouldn't – of course it would come down to the tribal chief chose the goat in the he gift exchange. The yeah. And he's devastated because what the tribal chief gave him was this walk, wooden walking stick, and David was like – And the interpreter watching the exchange could see David's countenance, and as they walked away from this exchange, David was devastated. He's like, that was the most precious thing I had other than the gospel was this goat that was keeping me alive. And this tribal chief took it, and all he gave me was this walking stick. And And the interpreter could see that he was despising the gift exchange, and he said, David, you don't understand what just took place. That's not a wooden walking stick. That's the scepter of the tribal chief, giving you authority and access to all of Central Africa and all of the territories he's related to or connected to. Whoa. He said, the king has really given you a tremendous gift and you didn't even know it. Wow! And I would just kind of flip that on us and just say, listen, the king has given you a tremendous gift and you don't even know it. He's given you passions wow. and giftings and ideas and relationships and Um, networks and all these things, he's given you a great gift. And maybe you've despised it because you were looking at somebody else's gift. And I know that that has tripped me up so many times. And so um, I think cultivating gratitude, wow, pretty soon it's going to lead to abundance and it'll lead to generosity of lifestyle. And and I'm pretty sure that's pretty pleasing to God.
0: Man, that's so good. I, I just have to repeat one thing that you said earlier, shut down the internal heckler that wants to diminish who I am. It's so good. And what you just said there is so key, man, and I think it comes back to the way that the kingdom works, because when we're willing to give away, when we're willing to serve, even if we feel like we don't have a whole lot, that, you know, what does the Bible say? That God gives seed to the sower and so if you're willing to sow based on what you have now you're actually sowing into the lives of people you're sowing into the kingdom god gives really good interest rates and so if you're willing to sow to invest in the lives of people with the little bit that you feel like you have right now god is going to take that and he's going to multiply the seed that you've sown and he's going to give you more seeds that you can be more of an impact so don't feel like oh i don't have enough so i don't have anything to give away you have something to give away And i think that what uh, josh what you were just sharing there is really really impactful and it's a, just a really beautiful thing about, you know, evaluating where you are right now. What do I have to, to give? What do I have to sow? What do I have? And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about how can I serve people? Because that's one of the most profound ways that I think that we invest, um, that we sow into the kingdom. And uh, God doesn't, none of that escapes God's sight and he sees it and uh, and he's faithful to bring multiplication into your life. So. Come um on. Josh, appreciate you so much, man. Thanks so much. I know you've got to run, but I'd love if you could just share uh, real quick uh, where people can go to find the the books that you've written and some of the resources that you offer and uh, where they can go to connect with you further.
1: Sure. If they just go to JoshuaFinley, um, org, they can connect with me. Uh, I've got a resource page. They can also contact me through that, joshuafinley.org, and I'd be glad to interact with them and, and help in any way that I can. I've, I've been helped by so many different people. Um, I look over my shoulder and I realize how many different leaders and mentors and people that God has placed in my life. And I realize, well, you know what, rather than get arrogant and proud about it, I should be humble because God knew I needed that much help. And so he sent me a bunch of heavy hitters to just help. And so I can't help That's but great. give away what's been given to me because I know everything on the shelf has really been given to me from other people. And so I love being able to to give that away. So. Amen. Great, great being with you, Duke. I love what you're doing. Keep, keep bringing people on and just, and just sharing it far and wide.
0: Thanks again, brother. It's been an honor. Appreciate you. And uh, thanks, everybody. Y'all have an awesome day. Be blessed. See you next time.
1: Thanks for joining us.
0: Bless you. All right, everybody. That's the end of the episode. Another thanks to uh, Josh Finley for taking the time to just be here and share all of that wisdom with us. I pray that the content blessed you, challenged you, or somehow added some kind of value to your life today. If it did, if you would consider uh, subscribing, sharing, or leaving a review, that would be amazing. It'll help us to continue to grow and make sure that these conversations get in front of more and more people. So thank you so much in advance for partnering with us in that way. Have an awesome rest of your day and. Uh, Uh, See you next time. Thanks.